Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movie movement, and I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, and we are at the season two finale. That is right. We have done two seasons of this show already. Honestly, it feels like no time has passed at all and that I just got this shindig started, Uh, but here we are. Uh, Season two was a rush uh, of of getting people in the studio, of talking about movies that I've never seen before, some, you know, that I've never even heard before, um, which is on me for (laughs) for not knowing more movies, I guess. I thought I knew a lot. But it was honestly such a great experience because I met so many amazing, interesting people. And this episode is no different because I am talking with David Lessoff, who is our special guest today, about a Western, which kind of feels like a Western and kind of feels like an indie film. It's very interesting because we're talking about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, 1970s. Bob Dylan soundtrack, amazing cinematography. I mean, you there isn't much more that you could want out of a Western, but this movie is so interesting and so layered. If you haven't seen it, just take the time and sit down with this beautifully filmed movie. So without further ado, my interview with David Lessoff on his favorite film, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Enjoy. Market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. I'm super excited because, one, we're talking about a genre that we have not talked about on the show yet, and two, I have special guest David Lessoff on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing dynamite on this Saturday. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty pretty darn great as well, right and I'm super excited to talk about a Western, one, And so before we really get into it, you know, tell me a little bit about what you do. Robert obviously linked us up. You're friends with him. You had dinner with him last night. Correct. Um, And so for people who aren't familiar, you know, maybe with your name. Sure. I'd be happy to. Okay. So I'm long in the tooth, so I'll keep this condensed and short. (laughs) I I moved out to Los Angeles about 20-something years ago from Portland, Oregon, uh, where I was living uh, to get involved in the music industry. And I'm currently the senior vice president of business and legal affairs at Ingroove's Music Group, which is a division of Universal Music Group. And uh, I work in the music industry and have been for 23 years. I'm passionate about music uh, and I'm passionate about the arts in general. But that's what drew me out here. And I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, but I've lived a lot of places and grew up in the Midwest for a period of time as well in Missouri um, on a farm. So the Western, you know, I had, my <laughs> folks had, uh, horses and, and cattle. And, uh, so I grew up on a farm. So, you know, there's a lot of connection. I think in a way I kind of grew up, uh, kind of rural and, uh, mm-hmm. not urban. And, you know, so I kind of 
identify with some of the subject matter that you see in a Western, just to, thematically. Um, I felt like even as a kid, I was kind of a got kid out of time, you know, growing up on a farm where everybody else lives in town and is exposed to all the modern things that a town would offer. I grew up on a farm many miles away from the center of the small town of Missouri that I grew up. And so, yeah, that's, that, that is what gave rise to my real love for the Western among many. I love cinema in general, but that was definitely what probably got me gravitating towards the Western genre. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Love that. Yeah. And so today we are talking about Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which is 1973. And in kind of that, it's, it definitely looks like a 70s film. And so I guess the first question we ask on the show here is, you know, why this film, as opposed to any other film you could possibly, you know, think to talk of? What was it about this? I know you have like the Western kind of, um, uh, a feeling of familiarity with that, but was there anything else that yes. you know, really drew you? <laughs> yeah, this film in particular, I think, look, I thought long and hard. I knew I wanted to talk about a Western. Treasure of the Sierra Madre with Humphrey Bogart is one oh. of the other seminal films that I love. And so uh, High Plains Drifter, all of the spaghetti Westerns mm-hmm. with Clint Eastwood and the, the John Wayne films. Um, this film in particular, I've always been interested in Peckinpah as a director. I mm-hmm. think one of the central ideals or themes that runs through Peckinpah is this kind of conflict of ideals, this kind of conflict of the past running into the present and the future. And this film kind of embodies that in that the characters, uh, you have a character that's entrenched in the, the way it was in Billy the Kid, William Bonney. And then you have Pat Garrett, who has moved from the being an outlaw himself into a role as a sheriff and embracing the future. And we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, through this podcast. But this film has also has just an immense number of incredible actors. You know, oh, yeah. Dil- Dylan is alias uh, James Coburn, who's unbelievable. Chris Christopherson, I think, is fantastic. The legendary Chill Wills, who we can talk about later, who was in a lot of great westerns in the period. Um, Slim Pickens, who makes every picture he has ever been in poignant and funny, and just he just has a just an I don't know what the right word is, maybe a pathos. He just has this weight. And gravitas to Slim Pickens. And so, you know, one of the seminal scenes in this motion picture is the death of his character. And so mm-hmm. I think this film, for me, it looks at the past and the changes and in moving into the future and the, and the modern world in which we live in today. And they were facing with then. And it questions those ideals. What was better? Was the past better? Was the, was the land of the outlaw better than all of this violent modern world with these despicable land barons and cattle barons that are starting to take over in the banking industry and all of the modernization of America that's juxtaposed against the world before that, which was much more urban, I'm sorry, rural and more of the land of the outlaw. And so I think this film is poignant in the way it portrays that conflict. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you've kind of touched on a lot of the themes uh, that I think are included in my next question, which is, you know, what is the kind of bare bones, shortest synopsis that you could give about this movie? Okay, the bare bones synopsis synopsis I would give is that it's set in the late 19th century in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it is a, really, it is a buddy film in a way. It's a chase film in a way. And it's a the, the this essential plot line is that Billy the Kid, William Bonney, is an outlaw with a gang. 
and Pat Garrett, who is now the sheriff, elected sheriff, uh, used to run and be a part of that outlaw gang with William Bonney, Billy the Kid. And they were friends. And there's even a line in the film uh, by, I think it is Chill Wills, who says, he used to be a son to you. Uh, so that's how close Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett were. And then you, the, the separation is that Pat Garrett, who is much older than William Bonney, decides to become sheriff, leave the land of the out, leave the time of the outlaw, leave the, the gang, and become mm. the law, completely 180 degree shift. And then what happens is, is because Billy the Kid refuses to change and become part of modern society and become part of the present, uh, he, Pat Garrett is hired by a series of uh, land barons and, and cattle barons to hunt down and kill Billy the Kid because he is stealing their cattle. And right. it's about, you know, Pat Garrett's conflict within himself in having to hunt down his old friend. It's about Billy the Kid, who also was at one time, he has a conflict uh, in that he was also one of the cattle baron Chisholm's men at one time. He, Pat Garrett, I'm sorry, Billy the Kid even says at one point in the film, I was one time the law and Pat was the outlaw. I used to ride with Chisholm and, and was one of his men protecting the cattle and Pat was the one stealing them. How, you right. know, and, how and it's basically how have times changed. So that's the, the plot line is that Billy the Kid has remained an outlaw at his own uh, choice and Pat has moved into a place of being the law in the law of the land. And that's the conflict that you have in the film. Um, Absolutely. Inside, well inside, yeah. Inside both of these men, you know, they used to be the same type of person and now they're different types of people. Some, yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhat. But there's still, but that's, that's what's great about Peck and Pop, but there's a conflict in both of them. Right. Yeah. The, um, I, I think that, you know, you even see in Billy the kid. I mean, he is not without, uh, criticism and fault. I mean, he does some despicable things in this motion picture. Um, and so does James Coburn as Pat Garrett. So I think yeah. that it makes you sit back and question, what is the ideal? What is the right path? Uh, and I think there's a lot of questions left unanswered in this film. Absolutely. Well, and it's so interesting because, I mean, so like I was telling you, um, you know, before we were recording, it was my first time watching the film and I really enjoyed it. But it was interesting that, like, I think throughout history and because, you know, the legend of Billy the Kid is is pretty well known, or at least I hope so with the younger generations. Yes. Um, it You kind of get the feeling that, like, Pat Garrett, he's the sheriff. He's, you know, he should be the good guy. Then Billy the Kid is supposed to be the bad guy. And, like, in our minds, that's what the narrative is supposed to be. But you kind of feel the opposite of, like, you kind of root for Billy the whole time. Yes, because and I mean, you, yeah. Well, because Pat Garrett does some really despicably awful things that only an right. outlaw would do. I mean, there's a scene with him with a bunch of prostitutes, with Pat Garrett uh, right. <laughs> enjoying himself with a whole series of prostitutes. Right. Um, in a scene, there's some of the same behavior that Billy exhibits is exactly what Pat Garrett exhibits. The violence is equal on both sides. Pat Garrett yeah. does some things very unnecessary. The scene in the bar with chill wills and, and when he comes into town and he gets drunk and he almost, he demeans these people unnecessarily. He kills somebody relatively unnecessarily. He could have just avoided all of this. Uh, and it doesn't even further the plot line in a way. It doesn't get him closer to Billy the kid by doing what Pat Garrett did in this, in these scenes. He's just ruthless in a way. 
and and uh, yeah. without he's hollow. And I think that you know I think part of that also stems back goes back to there's an early scene in the film with Pat Garrett and his wife, and you you find out very early on that Pat is uh, unable to m- make love to her. He feel he's he is an older man and he is feeling deficient in many ways. So yeah. he's conflicted with the fact that he's left what he believed was his, you know, he was an outlaw and he enjoyed that with Billy the Kid. And now he's conflicted because now he's the sheriff. He has no ability to really love his wife in the way that she needs to be loved. And he's kind of a hollow figure. And and that's what gives rise to some of the violence in this film where he doesn't have any empathy and, and sensitivity towards the others. And, and that's why you kind of root for Billy because Billy exhibits a lot of, look, he does some horrible things in this film, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he also, but he exhibits a warmth with children, a warmth with protecting people who are being abused. There's a scene where Chisholm's people are killing one of the great legendary actors of all time and his wife is being raped and Billy comes in and saves the day, but not, but the, the, the you know, the legendary actor still passes away, but Billy is there to try to protect the innocent in a way that, that Pat right. Garrett is that Pat Garrett is not. Right. Well, and and that's the deciding factor of like, you know what, I can't just keep running. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna I'm gonna do something about this horrific thing that has happened. And and it's not even just the viewers, it's the people in the film, it feels like are also continually rooting for Billy. Like he, you know, he kills the two other sheriffs pretty early on and right. when he's in custody, and they all just kind of watch and they they get him a horse. And then they they watch him switch horses and like get his jacket and all of these things and it's it's just such an interesting dynamic because those same group group of people who see Pat Garrett are like oh what are you gonna do are you gonna run after Billy like they don't oh respect what, what a monster yeah they don't respect Pat Garrett because even though he's the elected sheriff in the in the territory you know they 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 kind of despise him and they actually fear him because he's such a pardon my language but he's a bastard. Right. He, right. he mistreats the people he's he's been elected to protect. Whereas Billy, on the other hand, even though he yes, he steals some cattle. Yes, he does some some bad things. He's not nearly as bad as Pat is mm. in the film. And I think, you know, and that theme I, the, that I mentioned earlier, uh, Becky, this conflict of ideals where, where one ideal is running headfirst into another. Right. and Paul has, has that in his other films. That That's kind of a, a central theme, it seems. Uh, there's a great film called Ride the High Country, which is an older film, an early Peckinpah film. It's also Western with the great Joel McRae and Randolph Scott. And that's about two aging lawmen uh, who are no longer respected. And mm-hmm. one of whom is actually working in a carnival. And they end up teaming up together to protect uh, a load of gold going over the Sierra Nevadas. But they used to be young lawmen that were very, you know, well-respected in the territory. Now they're old it's the, it's the time in which the automobile is being introduced. They almost get run over. One of them almost gets run over in the town when they first enter it because they don't even know what a car is. So again, ah. there's those two conflicting ideals, the modern world with the past running head right. into each other. So that seems right. to be a central theme in a lot of peck and paw, um, which I really like that because I think we're always questioning and looking back reverentially, sentimentally at the past and thinking, was that a simpler time? Was that a better time? All the yeah. complexities of today is, you know, does the science and the computer and all this great industry that's been created, is that better for the world and better for people than when they live rurally and more simply? So I think that, you know, and The Wild Bunch, the, another legendary Peck and Paw film, also has that as its central theme. So it runs throughout, I think, a lot of Peck and Paw's work. And it's fascinating to me. 
having grown up on a farm and now I live and work in the music industry, the most you know modern of industries. Uh, but right. I came from a very rural background. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I think I, I can identify with that conflict. Absolutely. Well, and it, it is interesting because granted, this is my only peck and paw experience so far. Um, I mostly, I have a lot of spaghetti <laughs> Westerns under my belt. Got it. Got it. Those are great too. Oh, absolutely. But it is interesting, you know, now that you're kind of mentioning that this is a theme, because one of the, you know, the very beginning of the film has like this sapia tone scene that's in the future. And then we go back and it's regular technicolor, which I thought was very strange of like differentiating the future until you get to the end. And it's like, okay, got it. It's like a loop around. I like, I finished the movie and I had to go back. I was like, wait, okay. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if it'll spoil this. I don't think it'll spoil uh, any, you know, look, the film has been out for what 50, 50 something years. So The film film (laughs) opens with one of the most amazing, I think shots, which is James Coburn, Pat Garrett, mm-hmm. riding with his men, including Poe, which was one of the central characters. Uh, show the, the the deputy, right? Who, wor- who works for Chisholm? Coburn gets killed, murdered by his own men, right? As in the opening sequence of this, which is that long after Billy's been shot and killed at the end of the film, Coburn ends up getting murdered by his own men, and it, that is juxtaposed with this incredible scene where Billy the Kid and his men are taking target practice, shooting yeah. the heads off chickens buried up to the necks in, in the earth. Now, some right. of this, you know, you can see how this film could never get made today. Like some right. of these scenes, <laughs> clearly, you know, in the, in, in, the very, in the world we live in today, this film is very gruff. It's abrasive. It's harsh. But it's true. You know, it's honest. Mm-hmm. I think there's something, it's horrific what happens in the opening sequence of this film. I remember seeing it in the cinema the first time, and I could not believe what I was seeing. Like I couldn't believe that they were able to do this in a motion picture, but it's powerful and it's really powerful. It's visceral and it it opens the film and then it goes from there into the, into the story of Pat and Billy. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. And, and granted it's a, it's also a really smart film because it is all the things you say. It's, you know, it's guttural, it's visceral, it's, it's it's kind of horrific at times, but it's also right. like very casual in right. in the choices it makes. There's a lot of it's a loose. lot of it's loose and it's it's a lot of graphic matches with each other of like, look, right. this this mirrors this and this parallels that and the gunshots that Billy is shooting and the gunshots that are killing Pat, like right in the beginning, are right. are the same, are similar. And right. so it it's actively like saying to the viewers, like, we're doing something here, pay attention, which I think yeah. is really interesting for a Western to do. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and and again, I think that that, you know, Peckinpah, if anybody knows anything about him, I'm sure everybody who may listen to you have might have some background <laughs> on Peckinpah. I mean, he's a pretty seminal director, but right. you know, he was an alcoholic and he was a drug yeah. addict. And this film is made at the height of his problems with drug and alcohol. There's rumors that he couldn't even work more than four hours a day when he made this motion picture, that he was right. incredible. He was incredibly combative with Chris Christopherson, with the studio and James Opry, who ran MGM at the time. You know, he was very opinionated about what he wanted. Um, I, but the fact that this film, it almost is, it, it feels directorless, like there's no director, like you're just watching but the, then the cinematography in this thing is just absolutely stunning, especially, you know, stunning. you see this great scene where Billy the Kid is riding at, at sunset and he crosses, oh, yeah. past the pond, he crosses past the pond and you see the reflection of Billy 
both above the, you know, in the pond and riding on the surface. And it's just cinematically, it's just a really stunningly beautiful film. Um, the scene in which Slim Pickens, uh, Sheriff uh, Cullum, uh, Cullum Baker gets shot and he sits with his wife and dies beside <sighs> this river is stunning. Yeah. I cry. I, I cry every time I see that scene. Like literally it's just so moving. And, you know, Dylan's knocking on heaven's door is playing in the background. It was the first right. time, you know, this song was heard as it was part of the, as part of this film. It's immensely powerful, but you know, the cinematography in the film is just stunning and beautiful. And, but it does, you right. It, it feels like you're an observer and yeah. it almost feels directorless, even though Peckinpah was meticulous in the way he wanted things to look and feel. Yeah. Well, and that the one of the biggest things was that everything felt very casual. Every character was on his right. own timetable. It didn't matter and and it's it's interesting cuz when Robert was, you know, getting us connected, he was like, "Oh, he's doing Pat, you know, Pat Gra- Garrett and and Billy the Kid and right. and I love that film and and it's a chase film. He's Nobody's right. running." And I was Nobody's- like, I was like, what? <laughs> yes, we discussed that last night at dinner. He's right. It is a chase film in which nobody's running away from each other. They're almost, you know, there is this, you know, there is this moment in which Billy is he- intending to go to Mexico because um, the great character play, uh, I, Emilio Fernandez's character, Paco, says, go to Mexico. We welcome you in Mexico. And by the way, Emilio Fernandez is pr- pretty much the Marlon Brando of Mexican cinema. He is the greatest oh. actor in the history of of Mexican cinema, Peckinpah brought in some of the greatest actors of all time for this film. You know, Paco says to Billy, right, go to Mexico, and he's intending to go. And then he, to, to that point of like, it's a chase film, but nobody's running. Right. Billy, Billy slowly meanders towards Mexico, but then he just slowly meanders back to Fort Sumner because he mm-hmm. understands it's his destiny, that he's got to stand for something, that he can't allow Chisholm and his men. And I think, you know, the thing that drives Billy back to Fort Sumner for this final fateful conflict with Pat Garrett is the murder of Paco at the hands of Chisholm's men. And he realizes, if I run to Mexico, what will the world become? Yeah. So he's a he's almost like a this great hero, anti-hero, in that he decides, my fate isn't of consequence. I have to stand for something. I'm going to go back and face Pat Garrett because he's on the wrong side of the law. The law, yeah. you know, the, the outlaws are better than the, than the, than the law in this film in, in many respects. They have more dignity. They have more uh, loyalty. Uh, they're more involved in community than the very people who are hired and elected to protect those very same people. Absolutely, for sure. And I mean, I think the tone is set like immediately right after... Pat and Billy have like a conversation of Pat says it straight up. He's like, I'm going to arrest you do that with that information, what you will, but I'm going to arrest you in five days. And Billy's like, all right, I guess that's how it's going to (laughs) be. And then there's also a great line in that same scene in in the, in the bar at the very beginning of the film where Pat Garrett says, Billy, the times they they've changed. The times are changing. And Billy replies, takes a shot of whiskey and drinks it. And says, Pat, the times are changing. You want it straight. But I haven't. That's what you're here for. The electorate. Once you've gone out of the country. But are they telling me? Are they asking me? 
I'm asking you. But in five days, I'm making you. So when I take over Sheriff Lincoln County. Oh, Pat. Sheriff Pat Garrett. Sold out to the Santa Fe Ray. How does it feel? It, uh... Feels like times have changed. Times, maybe. Not me. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you see the initial dichotomy and this this conflict is going to come to a head because Billy refuses to become part of society in the way that Pat Garrett wants him to. It also resonates in that scene in which, you know, when Pat finally, at the beginning of the film, does capture Billy. And Billy's brought in and they're playing cards and then you have the great, uh, I'm going to forget this actor's great name, so I better <laughs> get it right. Uh, it's R.J. Armstrong uh, as Ollinger, mm. the Christian... God-fearing yes. uh, man that's hired to to make sure Billy doesn't escape, but he's the most brutal. Uh, he, he, you know, he oh, wants yeah. Billy to bow down. He wants Billy to get on his knees and and believe in Christ. Whereas, but he's got a, sh- a shotgun full of sixteen thin dimes to blow anybody away that, <laughs> right. that, that that does anything wrong. So right. there's this kind of is God good? Is Christ good? If this is what Christ is, should you know? And Billy refuses to bow down to this character. Um, so again, just another bit of conflict as between, yeah. um, these two ideals, again, conflict of ideals is kind of the central theme. Absolutely. Well, and what a great, um, what a great comeback in terms of when Billy is escaping, because he looks at that same sheriff and says, how does Christ look now? And it's like, whoa. <laughs> like, and then kills him with his own gun. Kills him with his own 16 thin Dimes. dimes, right? And then offers those dimes to somebody else for for the horse he's yes. riding on. If yes. you can pick them out of his body, you can right. have a dollar sixty. Right, right. But you, but you know what's interesting, <laughs> Becky, in this film is you you see you know when Pat Garrett rides into town after Ollinger is shot dead, mm-hmm. um, he says, "Can somebody do something with this body?" You can see the townspeople, okay, sheriff, because yeah. they despise the sheriff. There, you can see the animosity towards Pat Garrett. In all throughout the film, from the townspeople, from the local people who he's abused and taken advantage of, who they don't respect him because he used to be an outlaw himself, and his behavior, other than wearing the badge, hasn't really changed. Right? Right. He just he now he has a license to do what he wants to do from the government as sheriff, but he wasn't. You know, he he he's just he's he was a bad man before, and he's a worse man now because now he has the authority of the government to yeah. do even worse things than he did is when he was an outlaw. Yeah. And it it is interesting, you know, because he like I said he's supposed to be like the good guy technically in the narrative and 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 in, you know, in the story of Billy the Kid, Pat Garrett is like, "Oh, he's the hero who took down Billy the Kid." Not the case in this as we've discussed, but it is interesting to see him, you know, pick up all of these different people and basically gets every single one of them killed except Poe at the end. And there's zero remorse for it. And right. he just keeps going on his way. He's like, oh, that didn't work out. I'm just keep going. Although I will say, you know, there is a little remorse at times. You see it in Pat Garrett. You see the conflict come out in his face. He continues with that evil path, 
Becky, but mm-hmm. the, like, for example, when uh, Black Harris is killed, the gentleman mm. who he used to also run with, and uh, Black says to him when he's on the roof of the house and they're having that little shootout when when uh, Slim Pickens gets shot, right. he says, you know, I, I want to get this quote right because it's actually quite moving if I can remember. Uh, us, old, us old boys oughtn't be doing this to one another. Mm. Uh, there ain't that many of us left. Um, that's what Black says to to Pat because they used right. to be friends. They used to run together. Um, and when he shoots Black and he comes over to him, you can see the pain in his face mm. that he shot an old friend, right? Yeah. Um, and then I also think there's some conflict clearly at the end after Billy's killed because Poe oh, goes yeah. to cut Poe goes to cut off Billy's finger because of the fingerprints, and he wants to make sure he can tell all the world that Billy the Kid has been killed. And Pat Garrett co-cocks him. Yeah. When he goes to try to cut off the finger of the dead Billy the Kid and knocks Poe completely out with his rifle or his gun because he's protecting the body. You know, he is, I think, the, in that scene, there is some sorrow. There is some remorse. Absolutely. What have, I, what have I done? I've killed what was once my son and my best friend. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I'm glad you bring that scene up because it, for me, I think is one of one of the most powerful scenes in the movie, especially because he he fires twice. And the right. first one is at Billy, who dies. And then the second one is directly into the mirror, almost at himself. Correct. And for me, it was like, okay, he's truly, like, killed the old him. Or, yes. like... That's yeah, metaphorically, it, I think you're right. I think yeah. whatever was him, yeah, right. That's exactly right. Metaphorically, the old Pat Garrett, the one that was the father to William Bonnie, Billy the Kid, mm-hmm. the one that was Billy the Kid's best friend, has now killed whatever was left of himself of that old time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you said, total remorse of like, it, it's almost like he understands he had to do it, but he didn't want to. Correct. And that it's very clear. And and I think that's one of the first times you actually feel compassion towards Pat in this whole movie. Right. Because of this moment. And then kids are throwing rocks and, you know, and, and dog poop at him, like, as he's riding off into the sunset. It's very think bittersweet. About, yeah, that, that ending sequence. And I know we want to go through some of the, pertinent sequences, you know, things that, that happen in this film. Yeah. But that, that closing sequence in which Pat, after he kills Billy, the kid rides out of town and he's being stoned by the small children of the town as he rides yeah. away, you know, the religious imagery there, you know, what, the, what does that say? He, he's not the revered welcome uh, savior. He's not the savior. He's the yeah. anti-savior. And that's why they want to get rid of him. And they, and they stone him literally for killing Billy the Kid as he as he rides out of town. Yeah. Powerful stuff, oh, man. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Powerful <laughs> stuff. There's a lot of great scenes um, in this film. I mean, Dylan's one of my top two or three favorite artists of all time. And the fact that he got cast in this film is great. And I don't know if you remember from just watching it, because I've seen it like 80 times, but <laughs> the opening sequence in which you see Dylan in a real substantive way James Coburn, the sheriff, is getting a shave and a bath. And Coburn yeah. looks over his shoulder and says, who are you? And Dylan's character, Alias, says, that's a good question. 
it's perfect Dylan. That's a yeah. good question. You know, he's this, he's this nobody. He's this everybody. He's the every man, but he's the no man. He's nobody who knows who he is. And that's Dylan in, in, in essence. Anyway, he's this, you know, you know, this minstrel from another time and place. And he was yeah. perfectly, perfectly cast, I think, as Alias in this film. And he's, he had such great, there's so many great scenes with Dylan and Christopherson who were dear friends. And Christopherson got Dylan involved in this picture and brought him in. And Peckinpah was reluctant at first, but then he heard uh, some of the music that Dylan was composing and then hired him for the role. And I just love that scene with Dylan. Uh, at the very beginning, wearing that great hat that he's just sitting at that table. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are you? And, and, and honestly, I, I'm not trying to, you could ask that about every character in this film. Like, who are you? Like, wh- yeah. who are you really? Because there's a lot of conflicted people in this film. Yeah. You know. I was really worried. And it was so interesting because by the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's Dylan. Because I almost didn't recognize him in a Western setting. I know. Um, But I had this fear for him the whole time because Billy obviously is, you know, taking out hitmen and protecting his own and things like that. And then Pat, everybody who Pat is associated with ends up dying in some way. And And Elias is able to straddle both of those worlds. Dylan gets involved with both sides. You know, you remember Dylan is working in the town when Billy is captured in the town, which Billy kills Ollinger, you know, and escapes. Dylan witnesses this. And then later on, Dylan helps save Billy from getting shot by throwing a knife through the neck of one of the bounty hunters that came to get Billy. But then on the other hand, Dylan ends up in the bar when Pat rides into town with chill wills behind the bar. And then Pat starts torturing and doing what he does. And Dylan goes along with the instructions of Pat Garrett, knocks out one of his own buddies with a a rifle butt and, and, and does some other, you know, so there's this, again, just this conflict yeah. Um, and Dylan is able to kind of rise above and not get too bogged down in whatever side you're supposed to be on. Yeah. You clearly he, see that I think that he identifies with Billy and he does yeah. what he has to do to stay alive when Pat confronts him. Mm-hmm. Um, but even Garrett could have shot him several times, but he knows that Dylan is going to see Billy again. And that's why he gives him that message when he leaves the bar. Tell him. You know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to spoil yeah. it for you know, people who haven't seen it. But but my point is that Dylan is just this kind of, he, he's kind of a wandering narrative throughout the entire film, which is really great. Yeah, well, and I think it's, I think that's a great way to describe him as like a wandering narrative, because I feel like that's kind of how the whole film is. And, and I think that's, the biggest thing about that is I think it's attributed to Dylan's music in the film, which is very kind of calm and very, Western and folksy and and it, it definitely oh 100% gorgeous but it definitely puts you in that pace of nobody's rushing even right. though this could be dire or this gunfight is dire or things are happening we are not in a rush <laughs> I like films that sometimes do very little and this mm. one just goes at its own pace you yeah. know some of my favorite films that are not westerns like The Thin Red Line by Terrence Malick Mm. It's, which is a World War II picture, but it's not really about World War II. I'll just leave it at that. But it's a <laughs> slow, quiet, beautiful picture, yeah. which has a lot of horrible imagery that rises up at moments. But there's some really beautiful, peaceful moments. And that this film has that same kind of feel. There's some, you know, there's violence in this film and there is action. But there's also moments in which very little is happening, right? 
There's lovemaking between Rita Coolidge and Chris Christopherson at the end, who he ended right. up marrying. That was his first yeah. wife. Um, <laughs> and I own, the, I own the records, the Rita Coolidge and Chris Christopherson records, and those are beautiful records. But my point is, but Peckinpah didn't have to show that, but he was trying to, I think, the slow pacing of this film uh, really works. Now, it didn't work. You probably, I don't know if you had a chance, but like I didn't even know this. I thought before I talked to Becky, what did the critics say about this film when it was released? And the problem was it was released in, a, in a, an edited version. Right. 18, 18 minutes shorter than Peck and Paul wanted. And it wasn't where we'll see. They didn't like the pacing of the film. They didn't like the way this thing kind of plodded along and didn't really have a, like a tight, coherent narrative that just, you know, and, and there was it was criticized for that. And right. it wasn't until, you know, 10 years after or more than 10 years after that, that Peckinpah's version did come out. And then it became all of a sudden this film in which it made everybody's top 200 or 500 films of all time list. But, you yeah. know, that, pace, that pacing isn't for everybody, right? I mean, some people want, make it happen. Why are we plotting a lot? Why are we watching him drive cattle? Why are we, why are we having a turkey chase? Right. <laughs> a humorous turkey chase in the middle right. of this motion picture. <laughs> so, you know, there are things you could criticize, but I just top start to finish really enjoyed, you know, I just love the, I love the film. Absolutely. Well, and I personally, I love when films kind of switch what genre, like what the genre should be. Whereas I think in West, when people think Westerns, I think it's a lot of gunfights. It's a lot of fast chases. It's a lot of kind of upbeat frontier music. And this is not that. This is very much like just kind of calm. And a lot of heavy things are happening, of course, and we are interested in what is going on, And but it's minimal and it's very, right. it's kind of soft for a Western, even though there's some pretty graphic violence in it. <laughs> there is, but, and then there's just these, there's these scenes, you know, we were talking earlier about the scene in which Slim Pickens ends up yeah. getting gut, gut shot. And, yeah. um, you know, the great, it, you know, he's such an incredible actor and Katie Gerardo, who plays his wife, who's a legendary actress, um, but what's interesting about Slim Pickens is here he is in this sheriff, this reluctant sheriff in this town, mm-hmm. and he's building a boat to yeah. float himself and his wife out of the territory. Right. He has he has thoughts of, I don't want to be this forever. I'm tired of this life. I want to go to something more peaceful. And he's building this boat. And I you remember that scene where Pat Garrett kind of gets him to come along with him to confront uh, those black. Uh, Black, I can't remember Black, Black Harris and those other yeah. characters to, to get some information about where Billy might be. Slim Pickens goes along reluctantly. Remember, Slim Pickens' wife goes with them with a shotgun and shotgun shells in, the, in, in her in her breast, stuck right. down her breast to go <laughs> help protect him. Um, but you know, Slim Pickens' character is really just central to this whole thing because he's here. He is reluctant to be involved in any of this. Reluctant to be a lawman in the territory wants a different life for himself and his wife. And just by, you know, being associated with Pat Garrett gets himself killed. And, uh, and that, that world he wanted is never going to come to fruition. And that's yeah. really tragic and sad. And, and that scene where his wife, Katie Gerardo is crying while he sits Ugh. beside the river yeah. is one of the most powerful death scenes in, in any motion picture I have ever seen. It's just really moving. And it's, it's hard not to be, Think about Jesus. He he had a plan. If Pat Garrett had never come into his life, yeah, perhaps Slim Pickens would have been able to survive and ride off into the sun, float off into the sunset in his boat. <laughs> but that's not to be because everything Pat seems to touch uh, goes south. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's, I think it's extra heartbreaking because we know that he wants to build a boat and there's that great dialogue where I think his wife says something like, this town ain't worth it. And he goes, I agree. (laughs) And then they still end up going anyway. His his exact words are, this town's got no hat size, no how. That's right. This town's got no hat (laughs) size. I wrote it down because when I rewatched it, I just love that line. There's a great line called all, you know, when you see somebody who's not really a cowboy wearing a big cowboy hat, you say all Mm -hmm. hat, no, all hat, no cattle. That's (laughs) a guy, all all hat, no cattle. He don't own any cattle. He's just all hat. Um, That great, that great line. This town's got no hat size, no how, meaning it's not much of a town. Right. Right. So he wasn't really, you know, uh, passionate about being the sheriff. He didn't, he was, a, he, again, conflict, yeah. conflict of ideals. He'd rather be a peaceful man, uh, completely far away from where he is. He's thrust against his will into this situation by virtue of the fact. And remember, he walks into the house, Slim Pickens walks in the house and asks his wife, where's my badge? Oh, <laughs> and she, th- and she <laughs> digs it up. She digs it out of a drawer and throws it at him. Right. <laughs> you know, and that speaks volumes to Slim Pickens' character. He wasn't, he was a reluctant lawman, right? Yeah. And Pat Garrett, in a way, uh, is a reluctant lawman. Although, you know, one of the great scenes in this film that speaks a lot to who Pat Garrett is, when he and Poe first, Poe, who's one of Chisholm's men and his deputy, right. first connect, there's a great scene in which, um, you know, Poe says, uh, this country's got to make a choice. There's no place in this world anymore for drifters and outlaws. And Garrett gets really agitated and says, basically says, I don't want to have to tell you this a million times. Right. Um, his, I think he says something effective. This country's getting old and I intend to get old with it. Yes. And, and the kid doesn't want it that way. And he might be a better man for it. I ain't going to judge. Right. So that, you know, you, Garrett's conflicted. He's like, I'm riding with this terrible Poe, who's one of Chisholm's men, who rapes and pillages around the land. And so there's just all of this conflict constantly, in, internal conflict amongst all the characters yeah. about who am I? What do yeah. I stand for? Who am I? What do I stand for? Um, it's really it's powerful. Absolutely. Well, and I think you touch on something very interesting, which is the the script is really interesting. Like the lines are really snappy. And like, right. I think... In the beginning, Pat Garrett says, I want to, you know, I want to be rich, uh, old, and gray. Yeah. And that's that's how I want to live, which is also right. very telling about who he is. And you see that throughout the rest of the film of, like, I think he would much rather be an outlaw like Billy, but he has a goal in set self, for what he self-preservation. wants. Self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. Self-preservation. And, 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 and he wants to be, have the money and the, and the, and the, and the stature of the sheriff, right? So he, yeah. he takes that on even though it's 180 degrees opposite of who he used to be. Yeah. And it it is interesting because he has a lot of the things that it sounds like he wants. He's got a nice house in the town. He's got a lovely wife who will cook dinner for him. But he's like, he comes in for five minutes, has a fight with his wife and says, I have to go chase Billy the kid. I got to go. Exactly. Because I think that's what he really wants. Yeah, and I think he can't face his wife because he is, you know, he's incapable of being the right. man she needs him to be, and he can't face that. Yeah, uh, time and time again, and that's why he 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 turns and runs in the opposite direction from that because he can't he can't stand the fact that a, a lot of the things he used to be, he's no longer. Right? Yeah, and that yeah. comes with you know as we get older, we all face that 
I can tell you from personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you're speaking about the dialogue of this film. There's some scenes and we can't even probably talk about them on, on the podcast. There's some language and there's some things said in this film, you could never place those things oh, no. in a film. That <laughs> that speech about the prostitute yeah. when by Chill Wills, when he says to, to Pat Garrett, when he rides in town, do you want a woman? And he gives this speech about this woman that he has on, on standby. Yeah. It is the most graphically horrible uh, description of a lady, I mean, that you could have. Yeah. But it's a Western and it works, right? You you could never place that in a film today. The censors would be like everybody in America would be up in arms, but right it, the, because of the crassness of it. But it mm-hmm. works in this film in a way. It just it, it, the film is honest and true to itself. It's a western. It's not some polished stone. It really does have characters that speak with the language you would expect somebody to speak in 1891 New Mexico. Right. Uh, when when the world is not yet um, educated and polished right. and, and, and modern, right? <laughs> right. And by right. the way, I have to throw this out there. I looked this up because I've always loved Chill Wills. Chill Wills got his name because he was born in 1902 on the hottest day of the year, on the hottest day of record in like August of 1902. So his name became Chills, Chill uh. Wills. So that's, I, there you go. So I, I and he, by the way, he appears in lots of great Westerns of the period. He's always just a dynamite actor in everything yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so, and it, I think, I think it's really great that you bring up the fact that a lot of the language, a decent, I won't say a lot, I'll say a decent amount of the language in this film would not fly today. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with the film itself, it's like we've been talking about, it's gritty, it's violent, it's very, it's harsh, but in like a very chill way. But it, I think it also has a lot to do with like the time period of like late 60s into the 70s was like anything goes kind of thing. Yes. There's also yeah. a lot of nudity in this film. There's a lot of yes. topless women in this film, which I think. There's nudity of men in this film. I mean, yeah. which you almost never would see in a motion picture you know, before that or after it, right? I mean, yeah, um, yeah, it's graphic. This film is graphic and violent, which is, you know, Peck and Paw's trade. I mean, he's not going to pull punches. <laughs> he's right. going to show it to you like he wants you to see it because he feels, I think, that it's true and it's honest. Um, yeah. You could have had, you could have, you know, cut those scenes out of the film and just implied that they existed and that it, they happened and leave it to the imagination. But I think there's something shocking and it, and, it, and it's about, honestly, it's about character development. That, that you know, scene where, you know, Pat Garrett again goes into the, to the prostitute. He's got nine prostitutes in a room or so yeah. with him. Is It just shows you how um, morally bankrupt Pat is along with everybody else. That nobody right. is without, nobody is flawless in this film. In fact, everybody is flawed. And, um, and that just shows you that Pat, is the extremes in which Pat Garrett is willing to go for his own personal, you know, satisfaction and self gain and what have you. Um, yeah. I did think, yeah, I did think that was a really interesting scene to have in the film, mostly because he sends Poe to do, you know, a bunch of stuff. He's like, go here, circle around, come back and I'll meet you here. And among that, like, again, nobody's running in this film. And so Pat is like, I'm going to ask this prostitute, does she know anything? They get that done. And then he's like, you know what? I'll just stay and have an orgy. That's fine. Yes. And like, that's, and whoa, (laughs) 
it's it's a pretty like 180 turn of shock value yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you're right about you know look films in i think clearly the the films in the the late 60s early the 70s especially with the great great directors like peck and pond cassavetes and Mm -hmm. you know scorsese's coming up at that same period scorsese was very impressed with this film he had just made mean streets when this film was made the very one of his earliest pictures with de niro and harvey keitel and, Mm -hmm. and everybody and so um he was really, really impressed with this film. Um, the unfortunate thing, and I know you know this because you did probably some background on it, and I did too. I've known it for a while. Is that you know when this film was released, it was edited by eighteen minutes. Where yeah. eighteen minutes of, of it were removed. Peck and Paw was livid, and there's there's a rumor that Scorsese, I'm sorry, Chris Christopherson, Dylan, and Peck and Paw were watching the cut of this film oh. for the first time together. Mm-hmm. And Peckinpah literally stood up on a table and urinated on the screen because right. he was so unhappy with what the studio had done with with his film. And it wasn't right. until more we already said this. It wasn't until more than ten years later, where in home video format, it was finally released in the version that Peckinpah wanted the, the folks to see, the public to see, and then it became much more of an accepted film. Yeah. Which is so interesting, and and one of the things I read was that the executive in charge who made the decision to cut it lost his job after that as well. I didn't and know that. I did not know that the James Aubrey. I, of it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's like hundred percent true, but it was something on right. IMDb that was like, oh yeah, he they cut him after that because the film did not do well, and it was his idea of like, well, if we cut it a little bit, it it it'll do really really well, and right. that was that was not the case, <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, this, yeah. You, the other thing you need, to, I think that's important to, I mean, if you start exploring Peckball, he was fascinated with Mexico. And Mexico really plays a big part in this film. Mexico as a place of safety, of safe haven, of, of a beautiful land in which you can be free and you can be safe. Um, yeah. And I think there was an intention there that that's why you've got the great, um, the great actors that, you know, Spanish actors and Mexican actors that he, put in this motion picture, like Emilio Fernandez, um, right. who again was the Brando of Mexico. There's a lot of really, really incredible, you know, he, the, the selection of actors that they put in the film. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton in one of his early roles as Luke in this film is just dynamite. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know much about him as an actor, but he, he was, he, he lived to almost 190 something years old. And Harry Dean Stanton was in everything from Repo Man with Emilio oh, Estevez. Wow. <laughs> uh, to to this film and to many many dozens of others, and he was always Paris, Texas, a great film by Wim Wenders, Harry Dean Stanton. So he's Harry, Harry Dean is cast in a minor role in this film. The great Jack Elam as Alamosa Bill, who is oh. you know he's the great gentleman who has that uh, the left his left eye slants yeah. to the one side, and he's been in millions of great films over the years, and he, he casting him as this again an outlaw who. Right gets deputized by Pat Garrett and then has that faithful scene in which Billy just shows up at a friend's house to have dinner with him and his kids. <laughs> and there is Alamosa Bill, newly deputized, also stopping in to have a dinner with the right. same family. And then we know what happens next. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's just so many great actors. I think that's what also J.W. Bell, uh, who plays uh, Matt Clark, uh, I'm sorry, Matt Clark plays J.W. Bell. <laughs> Not J.W. Bell playing Matt Clark. Matt Clark plays J.W. Bell, who is also in that great scene 
where they, where uh, they first capture Billy the Kid, right? And then Billy escapes and has to kill uh, J.W. Bell by shooting him in the back. And they yeah. again, they used to run together. So that's what's mm-hmm. interesting about this film. So um, just a lot of incredible performances from start to finish throughout the film. Absolutely. Well, and so then let me ask you a hard question, okay. which is, do you have a favorite part in this film? Like, what yeah. would you say is your favorite? The, the My favorite scene in the film is the death of Slim Pickens. Mm. But there, there are some other... And equally, that, you know, just the quietness of Billy the Kid in that great scene where he is riding at sunset across that pond is one yeah. of my favorite scenes in the film. But the death of Slim Pickens um, is by far and away, I think, at the heart of the film, just the most touching and moving um, moment for me in the film. I don't feel that same sense of sadness when Billy finally gets killed, right? Yeah. I feel sorrow and sadness when Slim Pickens' character loses his life against his wishes, against mm. his wishes. You know, um, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful scene. So that would be, I think at the top of my, uh, my list of scenes in the film. Absolutely. Well, and with good reason. I mean, like you said, he loses his life and, and in front of his wife who you kind of get the idea that like they're partners. Yes. Like yes. she's definitely like a deputy, but like unofficially. <laughs> She was stronger than he was. She oh, 100%. Brought the sh- she, she brought the <laughs> shotgun to the fight and she got it done and she lived. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately for, for, for Slim, he, he gets gut shot and he, and he dies. But you're totally right. They clearly seemed like a beautiful love affair and a beautiful partnership um, cut short unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. I also think it's kind of... And I think it's just because we know about the boat that he's building. I think it's also like that extra gut punch, excuse the (laughs) metaphor. No, but it's Um, true. It is. Yeah. He dies near water. Like he purposefully walks to the water. That's an excellent observation that, you know, I I, I left out of that, which is exactly right. He walks down to the river's edge to die with it. And his wife meets him there. Um, It's powerful. Yeah. And it's just such a touching scene. And like, you're totally right. And I didn't even put the pieces together until you said it of, I don't feel that that same emotion for Billy at the end of this film, which even though it's, it's like a betrayal of maybe Billy never thought that Pat would go through with it. It's, it's the idea that he's, he's found Billy at a vulnerable time it's all of these pieces, and I just don't feel right. the same way that I did about <laughs> Slim Pickens. <laughs> I think we, I think we know. I think Billy knows. William mm-hmm. Bonnie knows. Fatalistically, he is going to die. I right. think we know throughout the film, Pat's going to get his man. Yeah. Pat is going to kill Billy, uh, Billy the Kid, his old friend. I think we know from the beginning of the film all the way through it. Everybody echoes that, that Pat Garrett. What did they say? He's got a lot more sand than most men. Right. Is one character says about Pat Garrett meaning that he is, he's dogged and mm-hmm. he is going to get his man. And I think Billy knows eventually Pat's going to catch up with him. And I think that's why he also doesn't run. He, he does stand for something. He does believe that Chisholm's men are evil and bad and that the modern world that's encroaching on his world is a bad world. So he stands for something on a principle. But I think he knows by going back, even if he didn't go back, Pat would hunt him down. And so why not go face off with your old friend? So I think we all know throughout the film, that's why when Billy finally does get killed, mm-hmm. we all knew it was coming. 
So it's not as much of a shock. Whereas when Slim dies, it's a real tragedy. Yeah. Here's a man who is, who, you know, has this great, he's just a, such a great character actor, Slim Pickens. And he just has this gravitas and this weight to him. And you just, you, you immediately with very few lines get to realize how, like you just pointed out, how much in love with his wife he is and how yeah. much she's in love with him and how angry she is with him for going with Pat Garrett. So angry that she puts a shotgun to her shoulder and grabs some shells and goes with him. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. So there's just, you know, the tragedy of death, the death of Slim Pickens is the, to me at the heart and the core and the center of the film. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, and it's interesting now that I'm thinking about it in terms of like, Billy is the central character and I don't feel a certain way because of the history, like, like you've been saying, but like even Alamosa, I felt bad for him too. Cause he's like, so did he, I. He obviously doesn't really want to be a deputy. He's like, Billy asks him like, have you thought of any other way of doing this? And he's like, no, <laughs> I guess we're just going to do it. You ain't thought of another way, have you? Uh, I can't come up with nothing. Get to it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> to go outside and do a duel because right. you've taken on the badge. I can't just walk out of here. You can't just let me go. Right. You've been deputized. And so in front of that family and children, you know, and, and think about this, Becky. I mean, this, they, uh, Billy and Alamosa Bill get, get out there and they go, let's do 10 steps. Mm-hmm. Alamosa Bill starts counting them off. Billy never turns his back on Alamosa Bill. So he cheats from the get-go. Right. But then Bill Bill turns around on eight instead of ten right. to shoot Billy and gets shot. So right. they're both they're both at heart outlaws. They work there's no code on that one. We're yeah. both gonna cheat. And Billy knew he was gonna cheat because he knows it. He used to run. They used to again, they're all outlaws. Right. He knows <laughs> Alamosa Bill is not gonna count all the way to ten before mm-hmm. he turns around. And then there's that great scene where Billy walks up to Alamosa says he's dying and and you know he says at least I hope they get my name right in the papers or something yeah fact. and 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 Chris is you could see just the hurt on his face having yeah. to kill him and so yeah it's just there's a again a lot of just uncertainty about who am I yeah. what do I stand for did, mm-hmm. is what I did, did in killing this man was that the right thing to do could I have avoided that should I have avoided that but true to the character they don't run away from this conflict in themselves. They just keep marching forward, um, not knowing is what I'm doing right. And I think, you know, ultimately Billy does realize by going back to face Pat Garrett, he knows that he stands for something that he has to stand up. And even if it's going to mean his life, he's going to go back and, and, and enter into that conflict. Right. Absolutely. Well, and one of the things that I was thinking when watching the movie, because it was my first time and, 
I was thinking that Billy was going to run directly to Chisholm and like they were going to have some epic showdown and all of this stuff. And, and that was kind of like the thought in my mind going into the next couple scenes. And it made so much, it made sense that he went back to like friends and like settled down and, and like knew that Pat was coming and like, like all of that still made sense, even without like everything else, I guess. It, right. d- like, does that make sense? That yes. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I think they were always destined. It always is marching. Everybody, like, you know, we were discussing about the slow march towards Fort Sumner. Yeah. It opens up in Fort Sumner and it ends in Fort Sumner. Mm-hmm. Um, this this old army post in which these guys are hiding out, you know, throughout the film, where is he? He's at Fort Sumner. Let's get, <laughs> let's beat it. I'll beat it out of you. Where is he? He's at right. Fort Sumner. You know, so <laughs> that they, you know, ultimately it begins and ends in the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the movie is very circular without being obvious about it, which is very nice. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, and so, I mean, what else can we say about this film other than that it's visually stunning, an impeccable soundtrack? Impeccable acting from all of the- Impeccable acting. Incredible, incredible, I would say, character actors. Some of the greatest, that's the greatest composition of character actors in any film I've seen in in, almost, you know, there are others that have that, but I think Sam Peckinpah really brought in some of the finest people to, from Chill Wills to, uh, we talked about Matt Clark as J.W. Bell. I mean, Jack Elam as Alamosa Bill. Um, there's just so many incredible, I mean, L.Q. Jones, who plays Black Harris, uh, is, is you know, it's Slim Pickens. I mean, it, the, if you go down, if you go to IMDb and you just, and Harry Dean Stanton, if you start running through everybody who acted in this film, you just start clicking on their link and looking at all the other incredible films that they made. He brought together, Peck and Paul brought together some of the finest uh, character actors of the period. And and it really works in this film and everything feels honest. There's not like, well, that I wouldn't have done that. I can't believe that that character did that. There's no going against the grain in the film. The characters follow who they, they know who they are and they, and they're honest to uh, to themselves. Um, And like you said, cinematically, it's a great film and it's a beautiful Buddy story, chase story, gone. You know, but it's a it's a buddy film uh, and an anti-hero film. Uh, you know, it, it's just a lot of things wrapped up into one. It's not a simplistic film. It doesn't leave you at the end with a with a bow on it tied up where you go. Oh, the good one and the bad lost, or right. the bad one and the good lost. You're not so sure what what was what would have been better. Did the right, right. man die, did the right man die at the end of this film? Right. Um, you know, so there's a lot of unanswered questions, which is, I think, makes for a great film. I think you want to be walking out of a film going, that was powerful. And then you're starting to think about it for two days, about all the various things that happened in that film and asking yourselves questions about, um, about the, the, you know, just the, the, the way the characters behaved and what do I think of this and what do I think of that? That's what cinema and great art does. It makes you question yourself. It makes you question the path you're taking, um, it was, it's just a really, really powerful and I think important film. Absolutely. Well, and, and what a great, I a hundred percent agree. I think if you leave a theater and you're, you're still talking about it, I think that's a right. good movie and talking about it in a way of, well, did you see that one part and like that meshed with this and, and that right. matched with that. And it was so interesting how they did this. And rather than like a bad movie where you're like, not even bad movies, just like okay movies. Like it was okay. And like I liked that one bit. And there's just such right. a difference between those two things. 
So I think you're 100% right. Like, I was still thinking about this, like, when I was going to get groceries earlier today. I'm like, well, right. in that one part with this. And, <laughs> and there's things that you'll pick up a second time or a third time watching this right. film that you don't pick up the first time. <laughs> there's, there's a depth of character in some of the minor characters. Like, even Dylan's character, who I didn't even, you know, I, I'd always admired because I'm a huge Dylan fan. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things I picked up on, I, you know, I don't even want to go through every scene in the film, but there's some things I picked up on in his character. <laughs> That were just dynamite. And just the interaction uh, between Dylan and Chris Christopherson, obviously, who had a great affection and admiration for one another. You know, I got to work with Chris Christopherson as a musician on two really? records. Yes, I actually. And uh, so I got to know Chris a little bit. He one time sat, came in uh, to our small, we were with a great record company called New West Records, which is still in existence today and does dynamite things with incredible artists. And I was the head lawyer at New West Records and Chris came in and he was walking by my door and I admired Chris for 20 years before that, Becky. And I could not <laughs> believe that Chris Christopherson was in our offices, our small little offices. And uh, I said, hey, Chris. And he came in my little office, sat down in his cowboy boots and we shot the shit for 15 minutes and about film, about music, about what he had done. We were both in the military. He was in the service and I was in the service. We talked about that. And I could not believe, I remember walking out after Chris left that day and going to my boss who ran and founded this great record company, Cam. And I said, I can die now. I mean, (laughs) sit for 15 minutes and talk to one of your absolute greatest heroes. And then I got to go and work with Chris on, on, on the making of his next record and go to see him perform live. And I have great photos of me with him, with his arm around me. And he's just a genuinely incredible human being. Uh, you know, a road scholar, uh, you know, a helicopter pilot in the military. Um, he's a real Renaissance man, you know, a guy mm-hmm. that wrote some of the most seminal, important songs of this and every generation, you know, me and Bobby McGee is mm. a Chris Christopherson song. So um, just, you know, and so back to the film, you know, clearly Dylan admired Christopherson and clearly Christopherson admired the poet that is Bob Dylan. And so right. you, see this, you see this great warmth in some of the scenes that they have together in this film. It's really, really dynamite. Absolutely. That's so incredible. <laughs> I mean, what a once in a lifetime opportunity to talk to somebody who you admire so much. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. A real honor to be able to, you know, that's the nice thing about, you know, if you, if you work in the arts, which I desperately wanted to do, and that was my intention by going to law school to, to have the ability every day to go do what I do, which I really enjoy, which is to be a small cog in a wheel. Helping mm-hmm. these great creative people get the records made, get them out in the world and get them listened to. I feel very passionate about that. So every once in a while you get the opportunity as a result of that. When you're not doing, you know, contracts in the music industry, right. <laughs> every once in a while you actually get to touch, uh, come in touch with, come in contact with one of your great heroes. And I've had that opportunity many times in my 20 plus years, in, but none better than having 15 minutes to sit and talk with Chris Christopherson, <laughs> the highlight of my career. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I mean, it feels like we've we've come to a pretty good stopping point. And first of all, thank you for picking a great film because one, I had never seen it before. It was very fun and, and a different Western than I'm used to, which was awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the show as well. Uh, Thanks for having me. I was, I was flattered and honored to be asked to do this. I, you know, if you, I'll sit on a stump in the middle of a parking lot and talk to strangers <laughs> about these films if you don't invite me on. So thanks for having me. It was a real joy. It was great to meet you. And you, this, this podcast is dynamite. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And you're welcome back anytime if you wanna if you wanna talk about another film. I'm always Absolutely. down to watch films and talk about it. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. So again, thank you. And we'll chat a little bit after this. Um, but yeah, thank you so much and and thank you. <laughs> again, thanks for having me. And I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast tonight. Most importantly, I just hope they go if they haven't seen this film. They take an hour and a half or two hours and just go watch it because I think it's, it'll mean something to them. Another huge thank you to David Lessoff for coming on the show and talking about one of his favorite films, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. This was such a different Western experience for me. Um, I wasn't ready. And I'm still kind of thinking and ruminating about this film, which is one of my favorite things uh, about watching new films in general. And it was such a great pleasure to talk to David and and see somebody so passionate about film and the arts and the music and this film in general. Just a great time had by all in this episode. And what a great way to end season two, because here we are. We're at the season two finale. And this is what I'm going to leave you with, which is a film that I cannot stop thinking about. I keep thinking about different elements and things that I missed, and I have to go back and rewatch it, and that is my gift to you. You can go watch these films that I have collected for you that I've never seen before but have seen now. And of course, as always, if you liked this episode, I invite you to listen to our other episodes, all of season one, and now all of season two are available and ready for you to just listen and think about movies, and think about films that you haven't seen or haven't seen in a while, but definitely go and check them all out. Additionally, you can follow us on our social media platforms. We have an Instagram, of course, where I update everything that is going on with the show, as well as the movies we usually will talk about week to week, things like that. Our Instagram handle is at scopophilia underscore podcast. We also have a TikTok, which is at scopophilia the podcast. And if you really love the show as much as I do, because I know you do, we also have merch available. You can find it in the link of our bio in our Instagram, or you can hop on the World Wide Web to ncpodcasts.com slash scopophilia, which has all of our episodes listed, as well as our merch. And now I know what you're thinking. You're sad. There isn't going to be an episode next week. I'm sad too. I know. But don't be too sad. We are coming back in June with a special summer series. More details to follow. So make sure you are subscribed to our Instagram account because I will be updating there. And since, you know, you're out and about, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it helps us out. I love hearing from you guys. And I just am so excited for all of the things that we have coming up for you. Season three, the summer season, it's gonna be crazy. So make sure you are staying up to date and staying tuned. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all this summer. Bye. (laughs) 